enjoyed the very exciting conversation of talking about the genealogy of Jesus. There's nothing more exciting than reading the Bible than that, right? My original intent today was actually to talk about that quite a bit. I kind of fell into a little Bible rabbit hole as I was doing study for Sunday school class two weeks ago, but then as I was trying to prepare for today, I kept getting into some other stuff, so we're still going to talk about that a little bit, so everybody from the Sunday school class, actually people, a few people were looking forward to that. We're still going to touch on a little bit. Don't beat me up too much afterwards for not spending too much time on it today. Kind of go in a slightly different direction with some of it. But first, I did promise we'd talk about the uh, city of David or the town of David being both Bethlehem and Jerusalem. I know little issues like that sometimes get brought up and then people will challenge the entire authority of the Bible because, no, wait, look. It says Bethlehem's the city of David, and then it said Jerusalem's the city of David, and they're not quite in the same spot, and obviously that means the Bible's fake, and you're all silly for being here. What are we doing? So I wanted to address it real fast. Um, so 1 Samuel 16, this is uh, Bethlehem being called the city of David. Uh, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So Jesse, David's father, was from Bethlehem. David was from Bethlehem. This is why Bethlehem is known as the city of David or the town of David. This is where he came from. So we're good there. Uh, move on to Jerusalem. Um, right, They were taking the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, which was the city of David also. Um, real briefly, uh, from 2 Samuel... Uh, the king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They thought, David cannot get in here. That's supposed to be thought. Huh, look at that typo. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, the city of David. David, skipping forward a couple verses, David took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the supporting terraces inward. So, he captured this city and called it the city of David, ruled from there for a long time. Um, this is why Jerusalem is called the city of David. It's not some kind of big, huge uh, biblical problem that they're both called the city of David. Just wanted to address that real fast. Um, so getting back into the genealogy of Jesus. Um, again, probably most of us have at least skipped over these verses and these chapters here over the last couple of weeks as we talk about Christmas. Um, this is all stuff about where Jesus came from, kind of, before he was born. So Matthew and Luke both have an account in their Gospels about the genealogy of Jesus. They're not the same. This, again, is not a huge big problem. That means that the Bible's not true. Um, just want to talk about it a little bit today, kind of take a quick overview of it. My hope is all of the stuff that, for the first time, really, I got truly interested in all of this um, a few weeks ago, and hopefully this will spark something and somebody else will be like, hey, you know what, I never have really studied into that much, and maybe you guys get into it more, and that would be fantastic. Um, but just kind of real quick, so Matthew actually starts with Abraham and works his way to Jesus. Luke starts with Jesus and works his way out. So I flipped Matthew here just so they kind of line up a little bit easier. So you've got Jesus, right? 
Got Joseph and Mary, Mary and Joseph. You'll see why I named it that way on those two here in a second. Um, but I like the way different translations and different ways that you can use those words even talk about how Joseph, because it's either like Joseph was known as the father of Jesus, or Joseph was the father of Jesus, so it was thought. Or don't even look at it that way, and they say, Joseph, the husband of Mary, right? Because as much as Joseph is Jesus' father, he's not by blood, right? And so there's always that, you got to make that distinction in there, and I always like how they do that. Um, Anyway, so then there's a whole bunch of people. Matthew, they both lead to David, right? Matthew goes through David's son, Solomon. Luke goes through David's son, Nathan. So they both lead to David. And again, we'll talk a little bit. We talked a little bit about that already. We'll talk a little bit more about why it's so important to make that acknowledgement. But there's a big split there. Um, And we'll get to that here in just a second as well. But Matthew works through Abraham. He actually, again, starts with Abraham and works down towards Jesus. But um, Luke has Abraham, but then goes all the way to Adam, the son of God. And this fits with the way that they both kind of had a target audience with their gospel, right? So Matthew is mostly writing to Jewish people. He wants to establish that Jesus comes from Abraham. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Um, Luke is writing more towards Greeks, Gentiles, people who may not know or care as much about all of the Jewish prophecies and everything. Luke wants to establish that Jesus is here to save all people. He goes all the way to Adam, son of God. right? So he's not focused so much on the Jesus is here to save the Jews part. And so they kind of had a little bit of a different audience there, and that's why they kind of take the genealogy to a different spot. Additionally, again, why they take different routes to get to Jesus from David. Matthew is, again, more writing to Jewish people. Um, the usual thought, and there are a couple different kind of theories on this, and that you can get lost in a lot of study rabbit holes on that one too, but the general thought usually is Matthew uses Joseph's line to David because Joseph, we already know Joseph was from the line in the town of David, right? We already know all of this, and he follows it through the father, which is how genealogies were done. That's how the most people at that point, but Jews in particular, they had the father's line. Luke, again, the general thought, and there are, there are, it's possible that there are other explanations for why they use different people. There are a couple different reasons it could be. Um, but the one I ran into first, I don't know, a real long time ago, and kind of stuck with me then, and I think it's still mostly the general idea, is Luke goes through Mary's line. Now, you wouldn't usually use a woman in the, in the genealogy there, but usually the father is the blood father of the son, so you would follow that. That's not the case this time. So Luke follows Mary's family, also back to David. Um, and so that's why, again, they take different routes. Um, if you get into it a whole lot, you'll notice there are different number of 
generations and people, which is super common when they're doing genealogies. They'll take out some of the lesser known or lesser important people to make things all multiples of seven, and it gets into a whole thing that we won't spend time on today. But <laughs> um, that's just kind of a taste on where those come from. Um, and I will say again, I encourage you, if, if you're looking like, you know, hey, don't know where I'm going next in a Bible study or whatever. If you get into that, it, it turns way more interesting than I ever gave it credit for. Um, it, you start getting into, well, who was this person? You'll see some of the people in these lines, and then you'll go back to you know Chronicles or Kings or Samuel or whatever, and somewhere in the Old Testament you start finding, oh, okay, that was this person, and that was this person, and then you'll find the same name, and you realize that wasn't the same person. It's just neat, and it's fun. So again, I encourage you to go there uh, if you're looking for somewhere to go for a study. Um, so now we'll take a little bit of a closer look at why it's important that Jesus did come from the house and the line of David. Um, we'll start out in the New Testament um, with something that, that John writes here. Um, so Jesus had been teaching, and here's what John writes. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said he is the Christ. Still others said, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Now we know that he did come from Bethlehem. They don't know that. Um, again, feel free to get into that study of why, like they fled and then they moved back and they didn't go back to Bethlehem. They went. So they went to Nazareth. So the people who didn't know that he was from Bethlehem were having a real problem with this. Like, wait a minute, he can't, he can't be the Messiah. The Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem. This guy doesn't sound like he came from Bethlehem. So part of the reason it's important to establish that Jesus is from the house in the line of David is that that's what people were expecting from the Messiah. Now, we all know Jesus did not fit the expectations of everybody in a million different ways. But that's because people's expectations were wrong. It's not because he didn't fulfill the prophecies. He fulfilled all of the prophecies about him. Um, if people thought different things, that's because they were wrong. This was something that they were right about, and he did fill that. But that's, why, that's one of the reasons it's important to really establish who his ancestry was. Um, so we'll go back here in time a little bit. Uh, Jeremiah 23 says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called our, the Lord, our righteousness. So we're going to get into a few of these Old Testament passages and then kind of talk about them together. Uh, Psalm 89 a maskal of Ethan the Ezraite. A maskal just means a psalm. Uh, I, I had to look it up. <laughs> I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you establish your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. These are just some of the promises of God to David. And this is why the people later were expecting David to come from the line of David, or Jesus to come from the line of David. Um, Isaiah 9, 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And one more, again, now that God's promise to David, this was through the prophet Nathan out of 2 Samuel. The Lord declares that you, try that again. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And before we get to here, probably it's real easy to get hung up on when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men. Now, wait a minute. When did Jesus do wrong, <laughs> right? So here's the question. Um, and this one and the previous passages that we looked at before this one serve a dual purpose. And this is super common as you go back through and you're reading scripture and you're studying things. Um, it's very, very common. And I think it helps to know that as we study and we learn how these prophecies are given and how they're fulfilled. So we'll talk very briefly on how prophecies are fulfilled. There is uh, often, not always, often a partial fulfillment of prophecy and then an ultimate fulfillment of prophecy. Um, many times it's a prophecy will be given, it's partially fulfilled, usually within a couple of years, maybe at least that one first generation, they'll see this part, and this kind of fulfills the prophecy. And then, ultimately, it's fulfilled in Jesus. And so as we look at these other ones, some of these, is by, actually we'll just go to the next one, to get some specific examples of that. Um, so going ahead, okay, so Matthew... One, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save her people, save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Probably again, probably all read that or heard that here recently during the Christmas season somewhere. But he talks about all this, was, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And then he quotes this, which is from Isaiah. So going back to Isaiah, then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, when Isaiah wrote this, he's writing in Hebrew. When Matthew wrote this, he's writing in Greek. 
one very significant difference, the way that it's quoted, Isaiah, the Hebrew word that he uses here for virgin, is almost exclusively translated as young woman. Here, I think they translated it as virgin because it points to Matthew. The Greek word that Matthew uses is not talking about just a young woman. He's very specifically talking about a woman who has not had the relationships which would be necessary to have a baby. Um, I guess we don't have any real young kids in here. I could have said that differently, but that's okay. Um, but outside of that, so the quote is the same. But going back to Isaiah, so this is way before Jesus is born. So he's talking about God's going to give you a sign to these people. Well, they're all long gone before Jesus is born. Hundreds of years gone before Jesus is born. And so there is, and this, to get into the Bible again, I'm trying to truncate some of the study here, but the partial fulfillment within one generation um, of somebody who mostly meets these things, which is then ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, um, which I think is probably, again, why Isaiah was given the word for his prophecy uh, as virgin there, um, because whether he knew it or not for sure, I don't know, God obviously did as he's giving him this prophecy. Um, and so take that idea back to what we were talking about earlier with God's promise to David and all of this, when he does wrong, I will punish him. For a little bit of context, David wants to build God a temple. God basically says, no, um, you're not going to build me this temple, but your line will, your son will. Solomon does. Solomon is the, at least one of, the temporary fulfillments of this whole prophecy. Um, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that prophecy much later. Um, and again, without getting too much into uh, eschatology and, and end times and going through Revelation and that, that idea, it comes up a lot there too. It's it makes studying the Bible and understanding it so much easier when you don't have to look at, well, okay, he said this, and then it was fulfilled here, so it's done. That's not necessarily the case. If God said this, very often it's partially fulfilled until Jesus, and then it is ultimately completely fulfilled then and in him. Um, so again, I, I say that as kind of a, a study aid. I, I went through a lot of time without knowing that. Um, I also said we'd talk about David a little bit more. Uh, we talked about him, I don't know, we'll call it uh, middle-aged David, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we'll go back, talk about young David and old David here too, real fast. Um, so as a young man, First uh, Samuel says this, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of his servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. 
He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came upon Saul, David would take his harp and play. Then relief would come to Saul, he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Now, there's a lot there. I know Mandy and I, at one point in time, got into a little kind of mini-study about this whole evil spirit from God. <laughs> um, that term, feel free to get into that sometime, too. That's, that's an interesting uh, little study. But the idea, going back to David and worship being part of his life, this is before killing Goliath, before being king, obviously, before David is David as we know him. He first comes to Saul because God's with him. He can play the harp, and it can trouble Saul's evil spirit. Um, I, th I just think that's neat. Um, so David as an old man, so going ahead to First Chronicles here, uh, when David was old and full of years, he made his son Solomon king over Israel. He also gathered together all the leaders of Israel as well as the priests and the Levites. The Levites, 30 years old or more, were counted, and the total number of men was 38,000. David said, of these, 24,000 are to supervise the work of the temple of the Lord, 6,000 are to be officials and judges, 4,000 are to be gatekeepers, and 4,000 are to praise the Lord with the musical instruments I have provided for that purpose. So that's chapter 23. Chapter 24 hit the right button, um, is about the divisions of priests specifically. Um, so these were the divisions of the sons of Aaron. So the rest of that chapter divides all of the priests into 24 groups. Then the next, I don't know, the next four chapters is all talking about different divisions of different people, um, gatekeepers, treasurers, officials, and all that. Um, but going back to the sons of Aaron, the priests, the eighth division of priests listed there is Abijah. Which brings us back again to the Christmas story because Luke 1, Luke writes it this way. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. So this is an angel of the Lord telling Zechariah that they are going to have a baby. Name him John. This is John the Baptist, who is the forerunner for Christ. Um, similar to how, I believe, uh, Joseph and Mary both were direct descendants from David. Zechariah and Elizabeth were both descendants from Aaron. Um, a lot of what John was here to do was to point to Jesus. Um, I, I think that's neat as a kind of a little parallel story there. And of course, they're related as well, but that's 
another story. Um, but that's where you start getting into those genealogies and you start making all these connections between, oh, okay, this priestly line from way back here, way up here, not only does it apply to stuff thousands of years later sometimes, but it points directly to Jesus, which obviously can affect us still today. Um, and I just I think that's neat. Um, so in closing, yes, we are early today. Um, we're going to be fast today. We're not doing Sunday school after. Um, so everybody who's in a super big hurry to go somewhere usually in that, we've got a little bit of time to kind of hang out if you want to. No, no pressure or anything. We're not going to lock the doors, but... Um, but in closing, so kind of the purpose of all of that today is looking at God will make a promise or God will give somebody direction or God will tell somebody to do something and it's partially done, partially done, partially done, partially done, Jesus. And I think a lot of his call to us is kind of that same way. Right, um, like we are supposed to love each other. We are supposed to build each other up. We are supposed to help keep each other out of sin. We are supposed to share his message with our neighbors. We are supposed to do all of these things. Um, and if Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all of that, then to what degree can we be the partial fulfillment of all of that. I'm not going to be Jesus. I'm not going to be the perfect example. I'm not going to be any of that, of course. But sometimes, maybe I can be the partial fulfillment of that. I can be, I can be the reflection of who God is, right? Um, I can be enough to where people open up and say, Maybe I want to learn more about who God is. Maybe all this stuff I heard as a kid wasn't crazy, or maybe I've never heard any of this before and it sounds amazing. Or, you know, we all come from such different places. We all come from very different backgrounds. Everybody we meet, all of our friends, all of our coworkers, all of our schoolmates, all of our whatever, all have very different stories to tell. And the ultimate call on our lives from God through Jesus, we can partially fulfill those uh, because of who we are, because of the pain that we've gone through, because of the mistakes we've made, because of the successes we've had. Um, and so that's, that's kind of my call today, is working on just doing what we can. And I, we just watched Frozen again, so the whole next, next right step thing or whatever. I, um, it, it's silly as all that is. It, we can do, we can be a little bit of who we're supposed to be. Um, and together, as a family of believers, we can work toward that, building each other up and building each other toward that more. Um, so the last thing I'll share. So personally, for me, um, I'm not super uncomfortable like, public speaking and stuff anymore. It used to be crazy as a kid. It was nuts. Um, but not so much anymore. Kind of through the Marine Corps, had a lot of different things that made me be comfortable with that. Um, but the idea, like we were talking about David dancing, right? 
the idea of dancing in front of people is like that won't happen. You won't have to worry about that. Um, the idea of singing in front of people, I, I think and my family can attest to this, outside of singing to my girls and Chase, probably some more my older girls, when they were like babies and too little to judge me, outside of that, they didn't hear me sing, really. That's just not something that I do in front of people. That's terrifying. Um, I have done that a few times here in this group with this congregation, with you guys as a church family. Um, and while I don't pretend it's necessarily any huge blessing to you guys, um, I hope that it, by making myself vulnerable in that way and shedding a little bit of my own dignity or pride, um, that that can help to build some relationships in that for me personally, if nothing else. Um, and so with that, I just uh, hope we all have the courage to speak the truth and love to each other when we need to. And uh, that's all I got. So thank you guys for coming. And uh, we're all dismissed. We can go.